Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we do uh, come to behold you this morning. Lord, it's been said that we, we become like what we behold. And so, Father, we want to behold you today. We want to behold your, your son today. Lord, may Jesus be, be lifted up now. Lord, help us to encounter you, to behold you, to see who you are through your word, through the scriptures today. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit might encounter us now, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would uh, transform us, that you would make us more like Jesus. Lord, uh, help us to today. This is a text really that, that causes us to, causes us to, uh, to evaluate um, ourselves and where we are and our use of the, the time that you have given to us. Speak to us now, we pray, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, open your Bibles um, to the Gospel of Luke. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 872. And we're continuing today in our series on parables in the Gospel of Luke. It's called, Where Are You in This Story? The parables are stories that Jesus tells, and, and we're in each one of these stories. They're, they're for us. So we're, we're not just uh, observers. We're not just on the sidelines. Uh, you and I are, are in each one of these stories. And today we're looking at the parable of the barren fig tree, um, which is in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 13 of Luke. But really, in order to understand that, in order to, to kind of bring that parable out and all of, the, of, its, of its richness, we really need to understand the things that lead into that parable. So we're going to take quite a bit of time this morning, even looking back at chapter 12, and seeing how Jesus leads into this, and, and that'll make the, the force of it come home all the more um, when we get to the, the parable. So let's begin reading in verse 54 of chapter 12. Luke 12 and verse 54. Jesus is speaking here. and It says he also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. There were some present at that very time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Interpreting the times. You know, the sky couldn't have been any bluer or the sun any brighter on that September day. There was just a hint of coolness in the air, one of those first wonderful hints of the fall to come. And it, I mean, from all along the East Coast, I mean, it was just a gorgeous, picture-perfect day. We went about our Tuesday morning routines. The people who worked in the Twin Towers in New York and at the Pentagon did the same. Uh, they got up, showered, uh, got ready. They, they took dogs for walks. They, um, they got coffee. They, uh, they, uh, they kissed children and, and spouses goodbye. Uh, they got to work. They checked in with colleagues, and, and many of them uh, sat down and in front of computer screens to check on morning emails. And then death came. It came, it came bolting right out of that beautiful blue sky just right out of the blue. And the rest of us gathered around TV sets, uh, feeling as if we'd just been uh, punched in the gut, just utterly horrified at what we saw taking place. I mean, we saw burning people jumping out of the Twin Towers, and then we saw the Twin Towers uh, themselves uh, collapse, just pancaking down story after story into a, a heap of, of debris and ash. We saw uh, that cloud of ash chasing people who were running through the corridors of Manhattan. We saw the Pentagon, the symbol of our nation's military might, smoldering, burning, with a gaping wound in its side. And in the weeks that followed, in conversations, we, we tried to make sense of it all. Well, something like that was happening. Something like what was happening in our nation in the days after 9-11 was happening in Jerusalem as this takes place. Because in, in recent days, two tragedies had occurred in the city of Jerusalem, which had everyone talking. One of them was sort of a terrorist incident in a way. Israel, at this point, was under Roman occupation. And occasionally, the Romans would make, want to make a point to the Jews about who was in charge. And so, on this occasion, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, had sent some of his soldiers uh, into the temple area where pilgrims, there were some pilgrims there, Galilean pilgrims, uh, they were there to, 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 to make their sacrifices and Pilate sent his soldiers in, and they, they, they massacred some of these worshipers in the temple. And Jesus says that, that their, their human blood was mingled with the blood of the animals that they had come to sacrifice. I mean, it was just a, an, a, an atrocious, a, an unthinkable kind of a, a, of a thing. Within days of that, a tower, the Tower of Siloam, that stood at the juncture of the south and east walls, of the city of Jerusalem had just collapsed. 
out of nowhere. And 18 people were trapped beneath it, just crushed to death. And the combination of these two tragedies had everyone in Jerusalem talking and asking questions. And one of the questions that people were asking was, why did these tragedies happen to those particular people? Why did those particular people die? And most of them were answering that question with a very self-satisfying assumption. That's kind of the first point here. We, we see a self-satisfying assumption. I mean, the general consensus of the people in Jerusalem was that the people who died in these two tragedies, well, they probably had something bad going on in their lives. They probably had some hidden sin going on in their lives, and this was just sort of God's divine payback against their sin. And Jesus knows this is exactly what they're thinking. And Jesus is going to eventually expose the folly of their thinking. But he draws them out here, and, and, he, and he asks them the question, um, and, and look at chapter 2 of, 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 uh, of verse 2 of chapter 13, Jesus says to them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then verse 4, Jesus says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus, do you think that? Really? Do you think that? Well, he, he knows that's what they're thinking. <laughs> Jesus encounters thinking like this um, in the ninth chapter of John as well. In John chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples come upon a, a man who was, uh, was blind, and he was born blind. He was, he was, he was blind from birth. And, and let's pick it up here at the beginning of, of chapter 9 of John. The Bible says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. I mean, even his disciples just assume, I mean, here's this poor guy, he, he's, he's born blind, and they assume, his disciples assume, hey, somebody's at fault. And since this poor guy was born blind, it's hard to blame him, and so they drag his parents into it. Maybe it was his parents, some sin in their lives that caused them to have a, a baby who was, was blind. And what is Jesus going to do here? Jesus is going to shatter that. He's going to shatter that assumption, isn't he? Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, Jesus says, Guys, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> because God was doing things in this situation that go beyond you or whatever you can conceive, things that you know nothing about. It's the same thing in the book of Job, isn't it? Here's Job, he's suffering, all these terrible things happen to him, and, and what happens? His so-called friends come along to comfort him, and what do they say? Job, you're suffering because of some sin in your life. Confess, confess up, you know, something's going on with you. That's why you're suffering this way. And what did God say? God said to Job's friends, he said, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, God, God says to them, um, you speak empty words without knowledge. 
because God was doing things um, in Job's life that they just, they just knew nothing about. And, and, and that's the case here. You know, we like to think that this kind of blame game um, is beneath us. You know, we like to think that we're above this, that, you know, we, we, would, we would never think that when tragedy happens to someone else. Be very careful about that. Be very careful. Because we may never verbalize it. We probably wouldn't dare verbalize it. But oftentimes when, when tragedy happens to, other pe- to people, we tend to, we tend to think about that as something that happens to other folks. You know, that, that's something that happens to other people. And maybe the reason that it hasn't happened to me, we can think, is because, well, you know, maybe, maybe of some moral superiority on my part. Maybe there is something that uh, is, was happening in, in their lives. And, and, of course, you know, this overlooks the fact that in mass tragedies like this, the people who die are a mixed bag spiritually. Some of them are godly believers. Some, people, some of them are probably rank pagans, but they're, they're a mixed bag spiritually. It overlooks that, and it completely misses the point. It totally misses the point. And this is where Jesus is going here. Because there is a question that we need to ask. Whenever tragedy happens, whenever people die, there is a question that we need to ask. But the question that we need to ask is not, why did it happen to them? The question that we need to ask is, if it happened to me, would I be ready? Would I be ready to meet God? That's the question that we ought to ask. You see, when tragedy happens like this, when calamity happens, the question that ought to be asked is a question that living people ought to ask themselves. It's not about the people who died. Jesus says, there's something that you need to ask about yourself. Jesus is going to, uh, to answer their self-satisfying assumption with a sobering answer. That's the second thing that we see here. We, we, we see a, a sobering answer. Jesus is going to take everything and just spin it. See, they see these people die, and they're asking, hey, why did they die? They're focused on why it happened to them. Jesus turns everything around. He says, no. It's not the question. The question is, if it happened to you, would you be ready? It's a sobering answer. Verses 2 through 5 of chapter 13. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? He knows that's what they're thinking. (laughs) And what does he say? Verse 3, No. And it's emphatic here in the original. No. I tell you, no. That's not why they died. They, they, they died. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on, on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us in a vacuum. He doesn't do anything in a vacuum. It's always purposeful. And so we need to understand what what leads him to say this at this particular time. Why does Jesus bring up this topic at this particular point in time? Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, there were some present at that very time. Now, when you see a statement like that, that's a clue for you to look at what 
immediately happen before it. Because verse 1 links what happens in verses 2 and following of chapter 13. It links it with the end of chapter 12. So what do we see at the end of chapter 12? We see two illustrations, two analogies. They're not really uh, parables technically. Uh, They're they're more like uh, just little analogies that Jesus tells. And they're about time. They're about, uh, they're about uh, interpreting uh, the times. Let's look at the uh, beginning of verse uh, 54. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You know, people in the first century were just like us. They loved to play amateur meteorologists, you know, and, uh, and project the weather. And uh, when, they, when they saw, uh, they would look out to the west over the Mediterranean Sea, and they would see clouds rising, they would say, storm's coming. And then when they, when they would feel breezes blowing up from the Arabian desert in the south, uh, they would know, hey, it's going to be a scorcher today. What does Jesus say to them in verse 56? says, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And what time is it? It's time to repent. It's time for the living to get right with God. It's time for the living. It's time for us. Not to ask whether someone who died had sin in their life. No. It's time for us, the living, to mourn the sin in our own life. To have a godly sorrow for the sin in our own hearts. To get rid of the filth in our own souls. And to humble ourselves before God. Turn to Him. And then Jesus gives this, He follows that up immediately with this second analogy very quickly, doesn't He? Verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. In other words, Jesus says, there are times when it's better to settle out of court. Because if you go to court and the case goes before the judge, you may lose your shirt. But Jesus really doesn't mean to dispense legal advice here, does he? No. Jesus is talking about another judge. Jesus is saying that uh, every single one of us is going to one day stand before the judge of all the earth. And are things settled up with him. And Jesus is saying, do it now. What time is it? It's time to repent. It's time to humble yourself before God. You you have this moment. You have this chance. Now you are among the living. Be right with Him. Settle before Him. And do it now. Do it quickly. Now all of this leads into what Jesus is saying here at the beginning of chapter 13. Do you see how all of this just sort sort of feeds in here as He begins to talk about these two tragedies that have happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus is saying to these people, he says, look, the message that you need to take from these two tragedies that has happened, where there's been all this loss of life, 
the message that you guys need to take from this is that you need to repent, that you need to repent. You need to humble yourself and, and, and mourn your own sin before God. And humble yourself before Him and cast yourself on His mercy. And He offers us that mercy. You know why? Because Jesus Christ has already endured disaster and death in our place. That's why. Because the suffering servant, Jesus, has already gone before us and, and, and suffering has done its worst to Him. Suffering and death has done its worst to Jesus already on the cross. But what did He do? He triumphed over it. And, and because of that, um, when we stand before the judge of all the earth, that judge has become our Savior. It's all because of the gospel. And so it, things can be right. You know, things, things can be settled. But, but do it now. Do it now. now. Now we come to this parable of the barren fig tree. And, and Jesus is going to tie all of this together in this parable. Let's look at it uh, beginning in, in verse 9 of chapter 13, verse 6 of chapter 13. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. But, and then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, cut it down. <laughs> you know, this farmer is kind of like, he's, one of those, he's like one of those faithful Chicago Cubs fans who flock to Wrigley Field every year. And they, they get to September and it's been another losing season. And what do they say? Wait till next year. Wait till next year. And, and he's been coming year after year to this fig tree, and it looks great. You know, and he comes every year. He's excited. He's expecting to find fruit on it. And every single year he comes, and it's barren. It's just nothing. And finally he gets tired of saying, wait till next year. And so he says to his vine dresser, look, this, this tree is just eating up space. It's useless. Chop it down. And the vine dresser says, let's give it one more year. Just one more year. I'm going to do some cultivation. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to, going to put some fertilizer down. And, and if it bears fruit by next year, great. Um, but if not, we'll cut it down. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, then the point of this, I think, is pretty obvious. God has been patient with you. Listen, the very fact that you're here today, the fact that you're alive and you're sitting in a church and you're hearing the gospel, friend, that's evidence of God's mercy and kindness and patience toward you. And God is patient. You know, 2 Peter 3.9 says that, 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 that He is patient toward you, uh, that He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But Romans 2.4 says we're, we're not to presume on God's, uh, God's patience and God's mercy. Romans 2.4 asks, or do you presume on the riches of this kindness and forbearance and patience 
not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Don't presume on God's patience because there's a time when God's patience runs out. Don't mock God's patience. He's loved you. He's preserved your life up until this point. He's put you under the hearing of the gospel this very day. And you know what? You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. Christ could return any day. Your life could end any day. And are you ready for that to happen? Are you ready? If you are a Christian, then the application here is about fruitfulness. This is a parable that forces us as believers to evaluate the fruit or the lack of fruit in our own lives. We should be asking questions like, am I growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Am I growing in these areas? No, none of us has arrived yet. We're not there. We're not where we want to be yet. Um, but are we, are we growing? Is there transformation that's taking place? And are we making an impact on the lives of other people? What kind of fruit are we seeing in the lives of others? Are you impacting other people for Christ's sake? In 1904, William Borden um, graduated from high school in Chicago. And uh, he was heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, which he was already wealthy beyond imagination, even as a kid. For his high school graduation present, his parents sent him on a trip around the world. But on that trip, um, he went on it as a tourist. But um, by the end of that trip, his heart was absolutely burdened for the condition of so many of the people that he saw in the world, the, the, just the overwhelming uh, need that he saw in people. He went home and he told his parents that he was going to be a missionary. And he wrote down in the back of his uh, Bible um, two words, no reserves, no reserves. He wanted to hold nothing back. He went on to Yale as an undergraduate. Um, he started a prayer and Bible study group at Yale that really kind of morphed into a, a movement of small groups to the point that by the time Borden finished at Yale, about a 1,000 of the 1,300 students at the time at Yale were involved in these groups. It was a campus-wide revival. And um, after that, he, he wrote down um, in his Bible, uh, no retreat. No retreat. He immediately uh, left to enroll in, in seminary, and right after seminary, went to Egypt to study Arabic because of his heart to reach Muslims uh, for Christ. And it was there in Egypt that he died of spinal meningitis at the age of just 25. But before Borden died, he'd written two more words in the back of his Bible. Under no reserve and no retreat, he'd written the two words, no regrets. No regrets. You know, this afternoon we're going to see teams, we're going to see players um, that are going to go all out because they don't want to one day look back with regret and say, I didn't give my all in the biggest game. They'll give their all today. No tomorrows. Um, 
And so they'll hold nothing back. Nothing back. They'll leave it all in the field. And they'll do that for a trophy that's going to one day perish. Fade away. Paul says that um, what we're involved in here, in this one short life that each of us gets, is far more significant. And the trophy that we're going for is far more significant. It never fades away, never perishes. And what we do in life, what we do in this life, in this one brief life that we have, it's going to echo in eternity. And it's only what we do for Christ that's going to last. What if your life were to end today? What if Christ were to return today? What kind of fruit? What kind of fruit is coming from your life? Are there things that you're withholding? Are there things that you're holding back, things that you're keeping back in reserve? Or have you, are you in retreat spiritually or are you advancing spiritually? You know, where are you today? This, this is a parable that forces us to evaluate the fruitfulness of our lives, the priorities of our lives, the way that we use the time that, that he's given us. Let's pray together. Father, this really is a, a sobering um, parable. Um, it, it's, it, but we need that, Lord. We, 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 need to, we need to really be confronted with the way that we're using the life that you've given us. Lord, this parable really, it, it challenges us to, to evaluate our priorities to evaluate um, our growth in the fruit of the Spirit, to evaluate and to ask, are we making an impact for Christ's sake on the lives of others? Lord, one second after we die, it's all going to be very clear what our priorities in life should have been, how we should have spent our money, how we should have spent our time, what should have been important, what was less important. It's all going to be so clear one second after we die. But, but Father, we want it to get clear now while we still have a chance to make a difference. Only one life will soon be passed, but it's only what's done for you that will last. Lord, we, we pray for fruit to come from our lives, Lord. We pray that we would hold nothing back, that we would uh, just lay ourselves before you as living sacrifices, that our lives would be uh, maxed out and spent um, for your glory, for Christ and his kingdom. As we just continue to pray, if you're here today and you're not certain of your salvation, listen, the Bible says now is the time. This is your day. You're not here by accident. Turn to Christ and turn to Him now. Say, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that He rose from the dead. And and right now, I I, I turn from trying to live life my own way, and I, I turn to You. And Lord Jesus, I trust You. I welcome You into my life. Thank You. Thank You for dying for me. I believe that You rose, and I receive You now my Savior, my King. Others of you, as believers, 
What's God saying to you today? What do you need to surrender to him today? What are you holding back? Maybe you're here today and God's dealing with you about the issue of church membership. You say, I want to come. I want to be a part of this church family. We want to invite you to come today. If you're here and God's dealing with you about trusting in Christ, we want to invite you to come. If you've got a need in your life, you come. Come pray at the altar. Come pray with someone. Heavenly Father, we we give you now this time of invitation. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Lord, would would this be a time of surrendering all to you? We ask it in the name of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.